0: Uh, So this is the second week of the Advent series. Last week's theme was on hope, and this week's theme is peace. So Pastor Ryan has invited us up to share a story on peace. Um, So for those of you that we haven't met yet, my name's Trenton, and this is my beautiful wife, Allie. Uh, We have a two-year-old daughter, Amelia, who's in the nursery right now, and we have another beautiful daughter on the way. Um, So yeah, we have several stories we could choose from when talking about peace but just in praying about it we felt the lord leading us to talk about our um, ali's health and our journey with that so uh, i'm going to hand it over to her
1: yeah so when i was 20 years old 20 years old i was diagnosed with a disease called Huntington's disease which is pretty rare And um, it's like a combination of Parkinson's, ALS, and Alzheimer's. It's not a fun one, and there's no cure for it. And uh, gradually, symptoms should progress, and um, I got a pretty severe case of it and was told um, that in my 20s that I should pass away. So my symptoms symptoms should start somewhere in my 20s, mid-20s, and I should pass away. Somewhere in my 30s. so that was like the lifespan that I was given when I was um, when I was twenty years old when I found out I had this. But we serve a God, a good God, and He is a God that gives peace, and He has given me a promise um, that He has healed me of this disease or will heal me, and I believe it like really with every ounce of my um, my being and. He has spoken so many promises over me through people praying and just all these different things, and it seems impossible, but our God can do the impossible, and He's given me peace over that. So, with that, I'm just going to hand it back over to Trenton because he's going to share kind of how God spoke to him about that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So early on, when Allie and I started dating, I um, would hear these these stories of like the promise of healing over Allie's life. Um, whether it was at, like, a conference or church or something, but I wanted a story for myself, something that I could really hold on to of, okay, the Lord has spoken healing over you, and I can hold on to that. Um, so at the at the beginning of our relationship, we were coming to the end of the school that we met in, so there was lots of celebrating and lots of good meals, and um, Allie is lactose intolerant, so well, lots of feasting and stuff like that. So I, I had lactose intolerance on my mind, so... I was just in my room, and I was praying that Lord would heal Allie of this lactose intolerance as a sign that in the future he would heal Huntington's. And Allie wasn't even in the room or anything, but from that moment on, Allie hasn't had any symptoms of lactose intolerance. Um, so that's a, that's a genetic disorder, lactose intolerance, and Huntington's is also a di- genetic disorder. So he healed a genetic disorder as a sign and a promise that he would eventually heal Huntington's. So that's something that I can hold on to and stand firm, and it's it's given us so much peace in life. And um, another thing with Huntington's is that Allie had a 50/50 chance of getting it from her mother, uh, so that is also the same for our children. She has a 50/50 chance of giving it to our children. But so that that could stop people uh, easily from having kids of their own. But we have just this peace to continue on with lives as normal as we follow the Lord's guidance. And it's, it's been a gift. Most of the time, I, I don't even think of it. I think she forgets most of the time that this is even something. And um, yeah, so we, we have so much peace in the midst of this. With that, Allie has some more good news. So
1: so um, I have been wanting to go to the Mayo Clinic for a while. Um, and just to get tested cuz they they are like have specialists people who specialize in it and i recently there's just an opening cuz there's like a really long wait and then there's an opening just recently so i was able to go and i had to go do like a series of cognitive and physical tests and i and Um, The whole time, though, I can get pretty anxious about things, but, like, the whole time I had so much peace, even in that room, and felt God's presence in that room with us, and he looked at me, and he was, like, after all the tests, and I was, like, just, like, going to trust whatever he said, really, Um, and he was, like, "Your, your symptoms are not here yet, like, they're not progressing yet, and so, and by the way, I'm 27 years old now, which is, like, seven years since, like, I've been told, so, like, that is a miracle, in itself and so I praise God and we have so much faith so much faith um yeah that God is in this with us and he's bringing he's given us so much peace so that's really just our encouragement to you guys is wherever you guys are right now wherever I know life is messy and life can be chaotic and uncertain but God does bring peace and he gives peace in the midst of that uncertainty and just trust in him in that because we really do serve a really really good amazing beautiful God who loves all of you so sorry I love God. Sorry. I'm also 34 weeks pregnant and emotional, (laughs) but I just really love God. So, but, yeah, so we just hope that you guys can, yeah, feel and experience that. And also, we're very open about Huntington's and talking about it, and we know that it is a heavy thing, so we want you guys to be a part of this journey with us and, yeah, just see what God's going to do because he's, yeah, he can do it, and we're grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you. That's all.
2: So, after talking with Pastor Chris last week and knowing that Gary and Elaine were sharing last week, and then hearing from Trent and Allie, Trenton and Allie this morning, it's just like, what do you need Chris and I for, right? I, uh, it, thank you. <laughs> Who said that? Was that Greg? Unbelievable. You can at least wait till I'm not listening or something. Uh, that is so good. And I just, I, I so deeply appreciate the, the willingness of both. Gary and Elaine and Trenton and Allie to share because, man, is there not power in what you just heard? You know, and, and as we approach Christmas, you know, the, there's a phrase that we're going to hear all over the place, happy holidays. And I'm not one of those that's like, I'm so opposed to that phrase, happy holidays. But what's interesting with that phrase, happy holidays, do you understand what that phrase means? And then, especially in reflection of how we live, because let's be honest, I don't know what your holidays have looked like. You're just coming off of Thanksgiving, which can be really great or really hard, depending on the family dynamics that exist in your home. You know what it's like. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't want to go home for Thanksgiving because you don't know the conflict that happens around the Thanksgiving table. Not everyone likes cranberry sauce. Okay? Some people like it from a can, and some people like it freshly made, and some people just don't flat out like it. But the reality of it is, did you realize 88% of Americans refer to the holiday season as the most stressful time of year? And yet we have songs that talk about it being the most wonderful time of the year. 88% say that the holiday season, basically this window, you could maybe include Halloween, though I don't know why you would, but Thanksgiving through January 1, you know, through New Year's, as the most stressful time of year. Have you experienced that this week? It's crazy. I don't know how life gets so busy. You know, we've got teenagers. Maybe that's part of it. But it's fine. You, You find that you've got home basketball games for your seventh grader. And home basketball games for your ninth grader on different days, away games, and then you got other band concerts in the midst of it, and especially at Christmas. You got Christmas concerts here, you got several, and you got middle school Christmas concert, you got high school Christmas concert, you got the jazz band Christmas concert, you got all of these things, and then you have the other things that you want to be able to be doing. You got the St. Francis chorale choir. You got the St. Francis Orchestra. Last night was the Heartland Symphony Orchestra. All of these options that you can engage in and do, and there's like, there are all these things like, yeah, I want to be able to do all that. But your calendar gets so full, and you get so stressed, and this doesn't include the regular stuff of setting up the tree. We set up our Christmas tree last Sunday. We decorated it last night. It's a live tree. I think we watered it in between, but I can't be certain. You know, my, my least favorite task and I don't know why I keep doing it. Putting up the outside Christmas lights. You ever Do you hang icicle lights in particular? Outside Christmas lights are fine. Icicle lights. Am I the only one? I'm sorry, Dustin. They are of the devil. <laughs> Sarah and I spent time untangling these stupid things. Yes, I said the word stupid in church, and I'd say it again in referring to these icicle lights untangling these inside so I'm not having to do it outside, making sure that all the lights are lit. And in the process of pulling out these bulbs, you know, I, I a couple of them were broken, so I was real careful on those, got those out. One of them wasn't broken, you know, it wasn't lit, but it wasn't broken. And I, I went to pull it out and it exploded in my hand and it impaled my thumb with a piece of glass and so it was stuck in there. You know, there's a phrase, you ever hear a preacher swear? I didn't but I wanted to, okay? <laughs> it was like, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, all of these things is just, and then, so we untangle all these lights and then we carefully bring them outside and then we got to get them up onto the roof without tangling them. You, that's not possible. They retangle themselves when you're not looking. <laughs> get them onto the roof. I got them all strung out. They're all there. And then you go to light them up. You got sections missing. I said, forget it. It's done. It is what it is. I may not take them down after this season because I just, it's one of the, you like them when they're up, but it's just not worth it. But it's the stress, the stress of the holidays and it's, it's absurd, but happy holidays. Do you know what that means? You know what holiday means? In, In its definition, the word holiday basically breaks down to mean, it's a noun and it's a time to set aside and rest, to do no work. That's a holiday. So happy time of rest is really what this phrase happy holidays means. How many of us are experiencing the happy holidays right now? Zero. All right? None of us are experiencing the meaning of this phrase happy holidays. So what in the world are we doing? I don't have an answer. But what we're going to do instead... We tried to fix this so it would stay close to my face, but so what we're going to do instead, we're going to look at the gospel of Luke, and we're going to navigate through it. I know Luke chapter 2 is our traditional area that we look at for for the, uh, the Christmas story, but I want to spend most of our time for the first three weeks. Last week was the first week, so for the sake of time, I've doubled up this sermon. I hope you didn't have lunch plans, okay? Sorry, I got to do last week's and this week. I have to do last week's and this week's because this week's was dependent upon last week's. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I condense it. You'll be fine. All right. So I know some of you are really stressed. Like, can see serious? One cartoon I threw up here because I thought this was really pertinent to kind of how we're, we're starting it. You know you know what I love about Thanksgiving? It's an absolutely 100% no-stress holiday. <laughs> That's right, huh? I feel that, right? Anyway. Looking at Luke, so what? this is wonderful. You remember, if you were with us in the summer, we went through Malachi. And as we went through Malachi, it's, it's one of the minor prophets, but it's the last scripture in the Old Testament. It's pretty much believed to be, by most sources, the last Old Testament evidence that God had, had given a message to the prophets. And then after this moment, there was 400 years of Silence. So this is that last message, that last love letter. And if you remember, as you we went through Malachi in chapter one, basically God says to the people, I have loved you. And their response is, Are you serious? You, you love us? If you loved us, I wouldn't be experiencing this stuff. Oh, I loved Ali's message here. That's totally in the face of what the Israelites were experiencing or believed they were experiencing at the time of Malachi. Where God was saying, I love you. And they're going, oh, what are you talking about? Life is so hard. And here's Allie dealing with some really hard, difficult challenges. And God's saying, I love you. And she's saying, I know. And I love you too. And that's what he's calling for us. And that's some of the picture that we're going to start to see as we, go, as we navigate and look at Luke chapter 1. But you have this 400 years of silence, all right? After this message of, I have loved you, the people are saying, oh, how have you loved us? And Jesus or God says to them, it's like, you guys, don't you understand what you're doing? You're coming before me in your temple with your sacrifices, and you're giving me a bunch of leftovers. You invite someone to Thanksgiving, all right? They come to your Thanksgiving table. What are you going to do? You're going to let them have all of the good stuff when it's fresh, or you say, "Hold, hold on a minute." Um, we're going to eat first. If you just want to hang tight, then we'll bring out the leftovers afterwards. In fact, you know, we're going to have you over for Thanksgiving. But let, why don't you come at like, say three o'clock when we're done, the pie might be gone, but I'm sure we'll have some turkey left over. We'll throw it on some bread, throw some gravy on it. Maybe we'll heat it up. It doesn't really matter, but you can have something to eat. And that's this picture that was happening in Malachi where the Israelites were saying, in a sense, God will give you some stuff, but they didn't love him. They didn't look at it, it as like, wow, you are a magnificent, thank you. It was just like, let's just get by with as little as we can. And God's saying, I have so much more for you. That was that story of Malachi. We covered that last summer. We don't need to deal with that again, especially for the sake of time. But that happened, and then 400 years of silence, and then we have this magnificent story where God comes back into the picture. All of those promises of Malachi and Old Testament are still there. They're, they haven't gone anywhere, though people may have forgotten about those promises. They're still there, and here we pick it up in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. And so here's the story. In the time of King Herod of Judah, Judea, excuse me, there was a priest named Zechariah. We've perhaps heard part of this story, but I want to look at it. I want to break it down a little bit as we go through. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So what you have is you have Zechariah. He's a priest. All right, there was a lot of priests in Israel, thousands of priests in Israel at that time. And what these priests would do, and we'll see evidence of it here in a moment, but these priests would have to take turns at the temple. All right? So they would come in, their group would have to be, they're the ones that are serving the temple, so they would take turns and they would do the different tasks of the priesthood uh, c- ceremonial your cleansing, the sacrifices, lighting the incense, which we're going to see here in a moment. But Zacharias. Group, his team was on board. And so here they come, they've arrived, they're on board for their tasks to be done. And it's just interesting to note for Elizabeth, she's going to come into the picture here as well. She's also the priest of line, not a huge deal, but it does show how they likely would have met and such. Both of them, both of these people, it's using the word righteous, were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This does not mean that Zechariah and Elizabeth were sinless in no way. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is, as when you look at they're observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, what that means is they're not falling into what God was calling out the Israelites in Malachi. You follow? They weren't giving God their leftovers. They recognized God for who he was and they would give him, it's like, man, God, you've laid out these promises. And I'll be honest, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. We don't know this to be evident, but after 400 years, you can't help but wonder. It's like, you got these promises, I don't know when they're going to come to fruition, but we're going to continue to live in obedience to you until you decide what you're going to do. And I love that. I, that's exactly the message that Trenton and Allie just gave us this morning. And so that's, that's Zacharias and, and Elizabeth. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old, Okay, likely older than 46. And I feel pretty old. So they're, they're both old. And so it's, well, this is really interesting. So keep that in mind as how old they are because it's going to come in here with with this part right here. So verse 8 says, Once Zachariah's division was on duty, once when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. So his, his division came on duty. And here they come, and while he's there, Something happens. He was chosen by Lot. Lot was like dice that the priest would cast. And trusting that God was going to basically cause those dice, those lots, to fall onto and make the decision for the priest so that they would know who was supposed to be going in. And this is what would happen. So they cast the lots. The lots fell on Zechariah, which basically means the priests are all gathered. They cast the lots. Oh, it says Zechariah is the one. Zechariah was then selected to go into the holy place in the temple and light the incense. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. He hadn't done this before. In fact, some priests would go their whole life without even doing this at all. There was that many priests. There was that few days. The lots would have to be cast. It was extremely rare for someone to ever do it twice, though it's possible. But for even Zacharias at this old age, this is his first opportunity for this— he would have been relishing it. Can you imagine, for as old as he is, we don't have his age, but it says he was very old, year after year, day after day, when his, his division is on duty, longing to have those lots cast and fall on him, where he'd have the opportunity to go into the holy place, to be able to light the incense and perform those duties because he loved the Lord. What a wonderful opportunity. And he would have longed for it, expected it, and hoped for it year after year and day after day. And finally, this opportunity happened. So he's chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense, which is in the holy place. Not the holy of holies. That only happened once a year in the day of atonement. He's in the holy place, just outside of the holy of holies. And they would light incense in the morning. They would light incense in the evening to keep that burning before the Lord. And so he would come in. To this place, he had other priests that would come in and help prepare the stuff. They would leave, and he would perform the tasks by himself in this room alone in the holy place in the presence of the Lord. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, I love this picture. All of those assembled, the priests and and worshipers, they're not in with him. They're outside of this area. They were also worshipers, and they were praying outside. Understand the spiritual nature of what's happening. You know, I love the picture. We've we've shared this phrase before, this this idea before. Here we are gathered together, worshiping. It's at 1006 Central Time. I know for a fact, Sarah's home church, they meet a little bit later at the very same time right now, they're meeting and they're worshiping as well. And can you imagine all around the world people worshiping? God, at the same time, it, it expands our understanding. It expands our view and our mind of who this God is and how he's taking in all of the love that he has for people and the, the pe- love that people have for him and the worship. It's just a beautiful picture. But this is what we have, this assembly, and people are praying while Zachariah is in the holy place. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Remember, 400 years of silence. Did Zechariah go into this space? I bet I'm going to see an angel today. There's no way. He would have gone in, certainly humbled, certainly reverent, expecting to honor the Lord with what he, he was doing, but did in any way he expect to receive a verbal message from the Lord, I don't buy it. Nope, not one bit. So he's astounded as he steps in there. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, and rightly so. He was startled that means he wasn't expecting it. he was surprised and he is extremely afraid but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zachariah you see that phrase over and over again I don't know why angels say that maybe someday if I come face to face with an angel and I'm afraid and he says do not be afraid I was like okay tell me why tell me why not to be afraid because I got to be serious I'm scared to death because you are crazy uh you know, all light and stuff, and I don't know what to do with this spiritual experience. I'm afraid. It doesn't make sense. It seems to me the natural response would be to be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Just pause there for a second. It's oftentimes, and I don't think, I don't think incorrectly understood, but I think it's short. When it talks about Zachariah's prayer has been heard, what is his prayer? It doesn't specify it, we make the assumption that it has to do with the next line. That's part of it, perhaps, but I think it's much bigger and deeper than that. So do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Okay, period. Just pause. Just throw a pause in there. Here's how that prayer is going to be answered Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The natural assumption is well, Zachariah must have been praying for a son. Must have been praying for a son. Must have been praying for a son. I'm not convinced that he was still. Praying for a son. I believe that he probably was praying for his son in his past. And could that prayer be being answered now? Absolutely. And we're going to see in verse 18, I think Zechariah was beyond still praying for a son at this time. I think he had let that ship sail. That doesn't mean that wasn't a desire of his heart. That doesn't mean that wasn't a prayer of his past that God is still answering. So that's still valid. So don't misunderstand. But I think there's another layer to this prayer that we're not considering. And that is a prayer for the hope of Israel. A prayer for the Savior to come. Because here you have a righteous man who knows the promises of God. He knows the promises of God that were written down in Malachi. The last writing that they had beforehand. And some of them, we're going to look at one here in a a moment, but those are amazing prophecies. And that's just Malachi. You include Isaiah. You include Jeremiah. You include Ezekiel. All of these promises of the Savior to come. I believe that In part, Zachariah's prayer was also, Lord, send your Messiah. That's what I think. So the answer to the prayer, though, and it comes in both, both come in the same form. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. John means the Lord is gracious, and we're going to see this gracious gift, and it comes. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Not only because he's your son, but also because of what the Lord's going to do in bringing him. See the duplicity of the prayer and the duplicity of the answer. Just kind of let, let that flow with you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be... Pause there. So the, the wine and the fermented drink, basically it's, it's part of the, the Nazarene vow that a Nazarite would take, especially a Nazarite um, God follower in that way that would kind of consecrate themselves that way. Oftentimes they wouldn't cut their hair. Samson would be an example of that aspect. We don't see the evidence of the full Nazarene vow here that he would have been taken, but it, it's, it's suggested. But then it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even, look at these words, even before he is born. Do you see the significance of that? Do you want to talk about when life begins? John 6 says that the Spirit gives life, and in the Spirit there is life. I am convinced that before John the Baptist was born, he was alive, and the Spirit was alive in him. That, that's, that's just an important factor. Grasp this reality the Spirit of God is in. He's not going to go into something that's not alive. The Spirit of God is in this baby at this moment, and we're going to see evidence of that next week. It's going to flip. See what I did there? Your mind, okay? That's really good. That's a little play on words. Okay. You got to wait. You, know, you figure like oh, I don't know what he's saying. Well, I'll get wait until next week. We'll get down to that. But this is amazing. Let's just understand the the beauty and the depth of it. Now, just to clarify, and we'll see this here in just a moment. John was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is in John, even before he was born. It's beautiful. This, what the Spirit's work in this man is going to do, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Keep in mind these promises of Old Testament, 400 years of silence. Would you ever get tired? It's like, hey, you promised. It's been so long, I've, I've quit on you. Has someone made a promise to you And they've taken so long to fulfill that promise. You're just like, I give up. You're never going to do it. You made a promise and it's just not going to happen. I feel like that's what they would be experiencing here now. God, are you ever going to fulfill these promises? It's been so long. And here they are. And Zechariah comes face to face with an angel. It's like, what? This is the moment that had been promised. We'll look at it here in a second. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn, their hearts of the, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so he's got this plan. He's got this purpose. God does for this, this baby, this son, this child. He's going to be raised up and become a prophet. Look at this. Malachi 4. Malachi. The last words that were written before this encounter that Zechariah has is that see. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. 400 years it took. Zechariah standing he would have known Malachi, he would have known those prophecies and here's the angel saying it's your son who's going to be that prophet. Zachariah, of course, says, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? And this is an important verse to look at, too, when we look at the idea of his prayer. Because he goes on to say, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Notice how he says, I'm old, and she's just well along in years. He's a polite guy, right? Because you don't call your wife old. Though we have. I said, this is a number of years ago, Sarah and I were complaining about, oh, man, it's get out of bed, it just, everything hurts. I said. I said to her, I said, Sarah... We did it. She's looking at me. What are you talking about? I said we did it, huh? We grew old together. Anyway, but this—look at this. She says, "I'm too old for this. I'm not praying for a son anymore." Again, don't misunderstand. I do believe that was part of Zachariah's prayer, and so it's being fulfilled at this time as well. But it's a prayer of the past. Isn't that amazing? God knows your prayers of the past. He can fulfill those at any time. It's that's wonderful. And so he fulfills that, but he's fulfilling something way better than just giving them a son. He's giving them the world, a prophet that's going to prophesy to who Jesus is. The angel said, the guy after Zechariah says, how can this be? I'm too old for this. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's a beautiful picture as well. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. All right? So the angel just said... Hey, let me give you my authority. I am Gabriel, I'm an angel, and I actually stand in the presence of God. Here you are in the holy place, you're not even in the holy of holies. I live there, and now I came out to talk to you about this message. And now you will be silent and not able to speak. This was a blessing for Elizabeth, I'm sure. Okay? It's It's like you sent home mute. Anyway. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so, I'll just enter with me here. Just get this picture. It's it's easier for women, especially for mothers who've experienced this. But I remember. I guess I'm trying to draw in a parallel here, and I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm coming back way at it. Four hundred years of silence. There's this promise. And now it comes to fruition. But I remember we have four kids, and each time, how that, there's an expectation. You know, when, when we first find out that Sarah's with child, and it's like, wow, why, you want to find the due date. And then it's like, it almost, well, nothing's happening. She's not growing, you know. There's no evidence, really, except that maybe she gets moody, Right? And like, you have this expectation, it is to come, but when? When is it going to happen? Do you have this due date? And then it's really rough, and this happened three out of the four, where you have this due date, and you go past the due date. Sarah was notorious for going long, like nine days overdue. You know, and so there's still this promised expectation. But when are we going to get there? When's it going to happen? You see the evidence starting to grow within it. Let's be honest. Okay, we're talking about Christmas Let's just pause a moment and look at the future because we still have promises that Jesus is coming back. All right? When? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? It's growing. The world, if you don't like the language, sorry about it, the world is being impregnated. All right? it's, it's coming. The end is coming. Christ is coming back. And just in that same way that Zechariah was anticipating this promise, it's like, well, I believe, but I didn't really believe. And we fall into that same. I'm guilty of that as well. Okay, let's shift Move back on. And now you'll be silent. Yeah, yeah, yay. Yeah. Meanwhile, the people were waiting. So the people are outside. It's taking Zachary a long time. You know, sometimes, and this isn't the Holy of Holies, so they wouldn't have done this at this point, but I've heard rumor, and I don't know the validity of it, but they would actually tie a rope to the priest when he'd go into the Holy of Holies in case he died in there. They could pull him out because no one could go in after him. You know? So, supposedly, I don't, know, I don't know the validity of that, but I've heard that that before, whether that's true or not. But anyway, so they're waiting a long time for Zechariah to come out. They don't go in and look for him. The, the, the lots were cast, they fell into Zechariah. That's what we do, we wait for him. And so there's, there's Zechariah in the holy place, and it's taken forever. Oh, maybe he died. He is an old guy. And they're wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When, this time, when his time of service completed, so he had some days to go yet. We don't know how long, but his service wasn't done. His, his division was still on duty. And when that ended, verse 24, he went home. This is more evidence that, that John was not, was not uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit as Jesus was. We'll see that in just a second. Okay, because in verse 24, he says, after this, his wife became pregnant. She, he went home. His wife became pregnant. And for five months, they remained in seclusion. They're there in five months, Okay, alone. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away. Oh, look at this verse. She has no idea what she's saying. Because the, what, she, what the Lord has taken away from her, he's ready to take away from mankind. The Lord has taken away my disgrace among the people. How much shame do we feel? The beauty of that statement right there the Lord is doing a work right now, fulfilling his promises. I don't know what shame you're coming with this morning, but you don't need to carry it anymore. The Lord has emptied the cross of the shame. All right, very quickly, we're going to move through Jesus' foretelling, which is shorter. But keep in mind so, Elizabeth, five months, they've been in seclusion. Mary likely may not even be aware that Elizabeth is expecting. They didn't have email, they didn't have text messaging. Um, Mary's in Nazareth, whereas Elizabeth would have been like in the Jerusalem area. There's about 64 miles apart. That's as the crow flies, like here to Cabela's, okay? So just imagine having to walk to Cabela's. You know, it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's motivating, and so you would want to be able to get there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, goes to Nazareth this time to see a town in Galilee, to a virgin, important, we'll see that more, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, the pledge to be married in this day and age, she's likely 12 or 13 years old. That's, that's about when this can start, 12 or 13 and an angel is going to appear to this 12- to 13-year-old virgin. But when they were engaged, that, that engagement, they, they were considered to be as married without the ceremony. So it's everything they were promised to each other. It wasn't like this, like, oh, we're engaged unless we break it off. That's why you see later when Joseph finds out, he's like, I oh, he going to divorce his wife? Well, they weren't really married. That's where that comes from. All right. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The uh, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I love Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled. Why would I be highly favored? I am 12. I'm 13, whatever her age. huh? And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Is it because of anything that she had done? No. There's no evidence of that. We don't know really why God chose Mary. She was a virgin. That's one reason we know that much. She hadn't done anything that earned her the right for this. She's an average everyday human being. But then the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. And Jesus basically means savior or redeemer. So you have God as gracious. And now to Mary, he says, I'm sending a savior. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. She knows what this means. Just as Zachariah, I'm convinced, knew what his son would be and that prophet that would lead to the Messiah. I believe that Zachariah knew that because he knew the scriptures. I believe Mary also knows what this means and that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. However, what she does not know, perhaps, is the way that salvation will come. She may be fully well thinking yet, of a physical king that would be coming into power. The Lord will give him to the throne, the throne of his father, David, so he, she understands he's going to be king, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. She knows the promises that would have been before that. How will this be, asked Mary, since I'm a virgin? In other words, how am I going to give birth to a child? I don't have a child in me. It's not possible. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then this is revealed to, to Mary. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive in her six, is in her sixth month. It's well, fascinating. Just understand this parallel. Maybe you guys don't get excited about this, but this is amazing to me. So remember, this promise was made back in Genesis 3, Okay. The fall of, man, uh, of Adam and Eve, and then death comes into the world, but you have this promise that is made that from the, the seed of this woman is going to come a redeemer that's going to crush the enemy. All right? That was the promise. Well, that promise is renewed with Abraham. Ironically, Abraham and Sarah were also very old, likely older than Zechariah even at that point, and a miraculous thing, she can't have kids, barren, and God does amazing things through impossible means. Isn't it? When it seems to be no way, God makes a way. Thank you, God, that even when life seems hopeless, we have a hope that's so much richer and deeper and better. Even Elizabeth is in her sixth month. For no word from God, oh, my word, do you see that? The angel says to Mary, this is a powerful statement. No word from God will ever fail. Every promise that God has made in the Old Testament, fulfilled. Every promise that God makes in the New Testament will be fulfilled. Every promise that God makes will be fulfilled. Allie and Trenton testified to that this morning. We don't always know how those promises will be fulfilled. We don't. But I'll tell you this, God is faithful, and we can have a hope, and we can have peace. Why? Because God fulfills his promises. He keeps them. Consider these. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is in the name of Jesus. First Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Death seems like the end, but it's not. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. If you don't have Jesus, you likely don't have hope. And if you do, it might be in politics, it might be in money, it might be in education, it might be this, that, or the other thing, but it's not in an eternal hope that will last. Galatians 5, for though, for, excuse me, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. I pray, Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. John ten ten. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 14, peace I leave you, my peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 16, I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Luke 2, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, believe, also, believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. If we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's no wonder then when you understand the promises that God has made and Mary understood the promises. She didn't understand how it was going to happen. And her response is, all right, I am the Lord's servant. Your word will never fail. May your word be fulfilled in me. And then the angel after. I hope that Christmas this year can be more than the marketing. I want Christmas this year to be something that you understand a deep hope. It's not, it's not a hope for what's under the tree. I know most of us understand and know that. It's not a hope for a Christmas bonus. It's not a hope for this, that, or the other thing. It's not a hope for even a a quiet night, silent night. Maybe Amy Grant wants that, but I don't know. There's got to be something more. And I'm convinced that the hope and peace comes from believing in the word that God has given to us, trusting in the promises that God has given to us. Hey, this is a message. Chris hit it on it last week, too. It's hard. This is busy. This is stressful. But I'm going to put my hope somewhere else then. I'm not going to find it under a tree. I'm going to find it way above the tree. And that's in Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate communion because Jesus Christ is the source of our hope. And I want us to remember it. We're going to come forward as we receive communion. And one thing that's going to be different this morning that we have not done for a long time, if ever, we're going to do it in silence because I want this to be a time where you get the opportunity. This is between you and the Lord. You know, we talk about that a lot. This is something that's between you and the Lord, and it's real and it's genuine. Jesus Christ, this one that was promised, he came and he lived this perfect life that we could not live, and then he gave his life for us, but in that midst of it, he said, I want you to remember. I don't want you to forget. It's like calling back to what Malachi was saying where giving the people for 400 years, I'm giving you one final message. I want you to understand how much I love you. I'm willing to give everything to you, but I want you to love me back. And Jesus is saying, don't forget. I want you to remember. Remember how I gave myself, how I allowed my body to be broken. Remember how I shed my blood for you. Remember. Remember. So this Christmas, let's just remember the promises that God has made. And he is faithful. He is faithful to keep those promises.